You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We're in Daniel, and it's just chapter 2. We looked at chapter 1 last week. Chapter 2, we're going to be here a while. There's 49 verses, so I better, you know, we're going to be talking about Jesus coming back. I better go ahead and get started because I want to finish before he does. In a summary of chapter 1, the year is 605 B.C., and Israel is overtaken by a nation, an empire called Babylon, that was ruled by a godless man named Nebuchadnezzar. It's a counterfeit of God's kingdom. But for 490 years of disobedience of God's children, God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come and invade and overtake the nation of Israel, for the Babylonians to plunder the temple and to take many as slaves into exile 700 miles away. Among those exiles are family from the royal family in Israel including Daniel and three friends. They are chosen to serve at the king's royal palace as teenage boys. And from there, they are tested and tempted and tried. They are given new names, taught new language, have to become citizens of another country and asked to change their diet so they have to eat food that's been sacrificed to demonic, foreign, false gods. Daniel as he's growing up, is surrounded by the spirit of Babylon, which we talked about last week is not a good thing. This is pagan culture. And yet he is filled with the spirit of God. And ultimately the battle is against the counterfeit spirits in, at work in every culture, every nation, every age. For 69 years, Daniel is in Babylon. And yet he is totally sold out for God. Now to Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, there's a problem. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. He couldn't stop thinking about it. He's up all night. So he summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, all the people who work with foreign pagan uh, items and things and fortune-telling. He summoned them to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, I went the wrong way, my bad, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. So, in this chapter, you're going to hear about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and interpreted by Daniel's vision. Many times throughout the Bible, dreams and visions are how God speaks to people. Now, that doesn't mean that all dreams and visions are from God. They are from one of three sources. They could be from God. This could be God speaking to you through a dream or through a vision. It could be Satan. It could be your own imagination. You have to test them to see. So that thing that you're thinking of, that thing that you're dwelling on, is it good and and loving and kind and moral and freeing? Or is it immoral and selfish and leads to captivity and enslavement? In any case, the story from Daniel continues this way. 
Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Uh, This is a way of buttering him up, by the way. But they didn't know how true of a statement they were making. By the end of Daniel in chapter 12, we will actually hear that, you know, every one of us lives forever, some to eternal life, some to eternal death. The astrologers answered him, may the king live forever, tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. He's like, you know, I had a dream and they're like, great, tell us the dream and and we'll tell you what it means. He said, no, I want you to tell me the dream and then interpret it. Who can read somebody else's mind? Only God can do that. He's given them an impossible task. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me my dream, what it was, and interpret it, I will cut you into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Now that's a rough performance review right there. Do the impossible. Or I'm going to dismember you and burn your houses down to the ground. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answer the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. They're saying, you've got a problem. It's beyond our solution. You have a God-sized problem, and we're not God. They go on. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Boy, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be such help if we had a God who became a man? This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. Now we're about to see. Remember that Daniel is considered one of the wise men, he and his friends. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. So here's Daniel. He was taken as an exile, turned into a slave, made to march 700 miles away from home, made into a eunuch, made to attend the University of Babylon and get a graduate degree in pagan religion. He is told by the king, man, I'm sick of all these people. Let's just kill them. Daniel and his friends haven't done a thing. They just showed up, and now they're sentenced to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, 
Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, the king had told the others, no, you're not getting any more time. Daniel comes in and asks for the same thing, and it's granted. Here's the point. If you belong to the Lord, if you serve the Lord, you may get grace where others don't. Now, let me share this. For Nebuchadnezzar as king, anything he ever want, he got. He was never refused. No one ever told him no. And if you are a, such a person that cannot live under authority, you cannot have someone tell you no, you become a tyrant. And God conquers tyrants. Nebuchadnezzar is a godless king who thinks he can get away with everything. And God is going to deal with him as if he is nothing. Which leads me to say, everyone needs God's help. Rich, poor, powerful, powerless. We all need God's help. Now remember the backdrop of this book. It's about spiritual warfare. God has a forever kingdom. Babylon is a counterfeit kingdom. We have a king. His name is Jesus. They have a counterfeit king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. God has spirit-filled servants. The counterfeit of that are enchanters, astrologers, magicians. A counterfeit spirituality doesn't work. People will say, I'm not a Christian. I, I don't believe the Bible. I don't follow Jesus. I have my own religion, my own spirituality, my own philosophy, and it works for me. Let me just tell you. It won't work. You will die and it won't work. You will stand before Jesus and have to give an account and anything other than faith in Jesus Christ will not work. And God is showing them here that if it doesn't work now, it's not going to work into eternity. Here's the most powerful man on earth. He brings in the most highly educated men. And they've got nothing. Because ultimately human reasoning, apart from the Spirit of God and the Word of God, is absolutely worthless. Now one thing I know that some of you wrestle with, and I have too, is this question. How can a good God send people to hell who have never heard the good news? Now, I don't have an answer for every single instance that you can think of. But I know God sends angels. He sends visions and dreams. He can have a conversation with someone through a burning bush. He can talk to someone through a donkey, like he's doing right now. <laughs> I thought I'd jump on that before y'all did. And in this digital revolution, he can use social media. Our God is a God of the unexpected. So God sends a dream and reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know that this happens today in Muslim countries? They go to bed. They have a dream that Jesus is at the foot of the bed, inviting them into a relationship with him. They wake up assured of what they have experienced. 
and they give their life, they give their heart, they give their faith to Jesus Christ. Even now, the underground church in Iran is filled with a whole generation of young people who love Jesus. You see, the Bible isn't just about what happened, it's what always happens. It's not just about what God did, it's what he's always doing. So in Daniel, there's a problem. And Daniel responds with prayer. And Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them by their Babylonian names better, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel explained it to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream while he's asleep. Daniel and his friends have a prayer meeting, really, and Daniel gets a vision. This introduces prayer into the book of Daniel, which... He's full of prayer. We'll see in chapter 6 that he is, it's his custom to pray three times a day. And he does so publicly and he gets in trouble for it. In, in chapter 9, he prays a lengthy prayer and uh, the angel Gabriel shows up in an answer to his prayer. So how does Daniel make it through Babylon? By praying. You know, when you're in the midst of a conflict or trouble, how much it, it's just... All you can see is just the matter at hand. And you lose sight of the bigger and bigger, bigger and better perspective. Prayer is that communication line that says, okay, God, you see what I cannot see. You know what I don't know. Tell me how to obey you so I can get through this battle. Daniel doesn't respond with panic and anxiety or fear. Whereas Nebuchadnezzar is up all night troubled. Jesus, I mean, Daniel and his friends are up most of the night in prayer. He's not relying on his intelligence, his education, his experience. He calls his friends together for them to call on the Lord. So first there's a problem. Daniel responds in prayer. Then comes praise. Then Daniel prays the God of heaven. Could he have complained to the God of heaven? <laughs> sure. I'm in Babylon, not Israel. I'm 700 miles away from my family and many of my friends. They don't have internet here. I am being brainwashed and now they're trying to kill me and I haven't done anything. But here's what he does. He blesses God. He finds something to praise God for. Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. There are kings and presidents and prime ministers. And over all those who are in control is God who is in control. Our help and our hope comes from him. Daniel continues with his praise. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. Remember, Daniel is a teenager when he is first taken. How do you make it as a teenager in Babylon? He has a faith that's been handed down 
from his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather. Let me say this to you, families. Moms were celebrating today in six weeks. It's dads. The best thing that you can leave to your children, the best treasure, is not an heirloom. It's not something they're going to have on Antiques Roadshow someday. The best treasure you can leave them is faith in Jesus Christ. He goes on with his praise. You've given me wisdom and power. You've made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, his Babylonian name, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. What he says is no one can do it. Dramatic pause. Nebuchadnezzar must have been thinking, then why are you here? No one can do this. But there is a God in heaven. There's a God you don't know about, king. There's a God who rules over your kingdom. You need this God. You have a God-sized problem. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come. And the revealer of mysteries, that's the God of heaven, showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. What he's saying is this, no one can do it, but God can, and I happen to know him. Daniel starts by giving God glory. He's not promoting himself, he's promoting God, and God ultimately promotes Daniel. Here, Daniel has been ushered into the throne room of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar would have been surrounded by his servants and staff who would have attended his every need, honored and obeyed him. He would give decrees. He would get praise. God has a divine throne room. It's where Jesus Christ is right now, our true king who sits on a throne, and he is surrounded by departed saints and angels and divine beings. Sometimes we get a glimpse into that divine throne room just so that we can see that there is a reality beyond what we can see that's just as real as this world in which we live. What's happening in Daniel's story is that he comes to a counterfeit throne room, and in Daniel is the Spirit of God. Daniel is walking into enemy territory, and he does so fearlessly because he knows that God has brought him to this moment. 
Daniel had already been on his knees before the Lord, and now he is able to stand before a human king because he's already been in the real throne room. Here's what we also learn. God speaks to Daniel and his three friends through the context of prayer and praise. That's why if you want to hear from God, spend some time in prayer and praise. It's there that we invite the presence of God. So there's a problem, there's a prayer, there's praise, and there's a prophecy. God is telling the future to prepare for it. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue. He's telling him the dream that he saw. An enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay, which, by the way, don't commingle, so there is a weakness. While you were watching, a rock was cut out. Not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in summer. The wind blew them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. He's prophesying here human history. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. What we're going to see are four kingdoms and then the kingdom of God. So here's the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation given by God through Daniel. He's talking about a succession of four empires. The Babylonian, which is the current. Then is going to come the Medo-Persian, then the Greek, then the Roman. Starting with the Babylonian empire, the current empire over which Nebuchadnezzar is king. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, this is Daniel, you are the king of kings. By the way, he, he knows that's a false title. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Babylonian empire was an empire filled with gold. This is Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. As far as pagan kings go, he is mentioned more times in the Bible than anyone else. Some 90 plus times. God even refers to him on occasion as my servant. Now that doesn't mean that Nebuchadnezzar knows God. It's just that God uses Nebuchadnezzar to fulfill God's purposes. This man lived in absolute security. He had a massive army. He would be called a superpower of the day. Around his fortified city was a 90 foot tall wall. So thick, it was said that a four-horse chariot not only could run on it, but could turn around on top of it. He had a moat and guards. He feared no one. And then God shows up in a dream, and he is terrified. His empire is not going to last forever. After him comes the Medo-Persian Empire. This is the chest of... of, uh, Silver, chest and arms of silver. 
After you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours, Medo-Persian. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. And it's, it's interesting. Daniel's saying, look, you're stronger than them, but God's going to let them win. The events of conquering Babylon, by the way, are recorded in the Old Testament book of Esther. That third empire, that's the Greek empire that was brought about through Alexander the Great. By the way, when his army marched into battle, the breastplates, shields, helmets, guess what they were made of? Bronze. God is so particular in how he details history, events, people. What happens after that is the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire of its day. And this is relayed to us in these next verses. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, just even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. History records this is exactly what happens to the Roman Empire. They conquer great masses of people by force. Nations, different languages, different cultures, and that will eventually be their undoing because people will ultimately be more loyal to their region, their religion, their culture. And Rome, that mighty empire, will crumble and fall, but not until several centuries. That Roman Empire came into power in the first century B.C. All of this setting up the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, the whole point of prophecy, the whole point of history is Jesus Christ. And it was the Roman Empire that was ruling and reigning at the time of Jesus' birth. It was the Roman Empire that called for the census that made Jesus' parents leave their hometown of Nazareth and go to Bethlehem and fulfill prophecy there from Micah that out of you, O Bethlehem, will come a ruler. That was caused by the Roman charge to have a census. Ultimately, it was the Roman government that brought charges against Jesus. And after he was arrested, executed him by crucifying him on a cross. And Jesus Christ rose from death under the rule of the Roman government. And Jesus Christ came at the time the Bible refers to as the fullness of time. When God knew it was right. It was during the Roman Empire. This is incredible how detailed our God is in setting the stage for everything in history Here's the thing. God is not bigger than you think. He's bigger than you can think. 
Well, now the promise. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So here's a fifth kingdom that will never be destroyed. Every other king and kingdom and nation comes and goes. The kingdom of God will never end. Nor will it be left to another people. No one can conquer King Jesus. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. You're going to hear this again in Daniel, chapter 7, chapter 12. It's the most important theme in the book. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. Its interpretation is trustworthy. Once Daniel gets the word of God, he's fearless. And he's not going to water it down or edit the word of God, even in the face of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think King Nebuchadnezzar liked this interpretation? Of course not. His kingdom was going to end, but it was the truth. So this fifth and final kingdom happens when a stone comes and crushes all the other kingdoms. A stone not made by human hands. Who is that stone? It's Jesus. It says in the Psalms and is quoted by the Gospels and in the epistles that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Psalm 118.22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus said, that's me. Here's what that means. Anything not founded upon Jesus will ultimately come down and doesn't work. So here's the point. Start your day with Jesus. Start your year with Jesus. Start your family with Jesus. Start your marriage with Jesus. Start your business, your schedule, your finances with Jesus. Lay that foundation first and then place everything else on top of him. Apart from Jesus, nothing works. Everything crumbles. Daniel 2 has four more verses. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel, paid him honor, and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Well, there's a problem. Instead of bowing down to worship God, Nebuchadnezzar bows to Daniel. He doesn't understand God. God comes through Daniel and so he worships Daniel. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. That's going to be a hard thing to come in a Another chapter or two. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Here's what we learn about Nebuchadnezzar. You can revere God in your mind and not receive him in your heart. You can know about him, but not know him. Here at the end, Daniel Nebuchadnezzar, revere God, 
But only Daniel worships him. Only Daniel receives him. The question for you today is, do you know Jesus Christ as God? Do you know that the only life-changing, eternity-altering relationship that's possible is through Jesus Christ? You can receive him into your heart. It's not complicated. You invite him in. Lastly, let me say this. Faith, that's what we've seen today, is about building your life on God's character and God's control, even when you don't see what he's doing, even when you don't like what is happening, even if you don't agree with his timing. God is in control. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and God loves you. So don't worry about the future. Don't, you don't need to know about the future. You need to know God and get to know that he's got your future planned for you. Let's pray. Lord, our minds cannot comprehend even as we get a glimpse of what you have planned. Thank you that you tell us what's coming and you are over history in the future so we can have faith and not fear. We can have hope and not despair, gladness and not grief. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are in control of whoever is in control. And thank you that you are coming again to establish a kingdom that never ends. Until then... May we hold fast to the word of God and bow down to worship our true and rightful king, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this prayer and the prayer he taught saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.